nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another thrill-packed, fun-filled, really rather warm edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living, and joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... Oh, it's just Polka Michael, Mike. I'm far too hot. It's far too hot for frippery. It is. It's far too hot for It is, or indeed any iteration of King Crimson. I'm far too hot. Um... Mm. It is far too hot. We had a bloody good moan about the heat the other week, didn't we? And we were like, right, that we we even named one of the episodes Last of the Summer, W-H-I-N-E, wine, because we were yes. like, good. That's the complaining out the way. Now we can just crack on with check trousers, uh, box sets, um, dealing with the existential dread that's brought on by living under this tyranny. Um Which we should have been able to do, shouldn't we? Because British summertime, as we all know, lasts three days and then it's back to autumn. So quite what's going on here? I have have no idea whatsoever. (laughs) Nor do I. I wish to. What is going on? I wish to make a complaint. That's what I'd like to do. I wish to make a complaint. But it's been an interesting week. If you live on Earth Strip One, as Orwell um, n- named the United <laughs> Kingdom, but this is the antidote to all of that, so we shall not dwell. I always wondered if one day I would uh, buy myself a nice little cottage where where a couple of lanes conjoin, and I would call it No Point Dwelling. And <laughs> I suppose that's what this is, isn't it? This is the refuge for ourselves and for others. I think so, but I think we also now might have to consider the educational aspect of what we're doing here, and I'll explain exactly why. Uh, we ran a poll uh, on Twitter, uh, the Twitter, of course, being oh. at Nice Things Show. Uh, so we ran a poll, uh, which simply said, uh, which is the best season? Didn't say nicest. We went with which is the best season. Feel right. free to explain why. Uh, so uh, spring, summer, autumn. And then in block capitals, winter, with arrows <laughs> pointing at it and thinking, if anybody needs a hand. Um, winter came last. What? 10% of people say that winter is the best season. This is followed by summer, 15. So we've got those the wrong way round to begin with. Yeah. Um, this is followed by autumn at 30. And... With 45% spring, although spring to me is surely the harbinger of doom. We know yes, that summer is incoming. Exactly. Exactly correct. You've nailed that. I, I, I really don't quite understand. So we are going to have to consider... We're going to have to consider educating a little bit here as, as well as we go, I think, because obviously right. I'm not happy, but we, sh- we need to rig the polls. Okay. We do. We, sh- we shall get you, Govar, Ipsos Mori to do it. They're good at rigging those sorts we of things. do that. Aside from oh, oh the clock. I do apologise. I forgot to turn the clock on. No, no, yeah. leave the clock on. I like it. Um, Wait till we... it gets to ten o'clock. But anyway, off you go. Uh, yes, I bet you say that to all the girls, dear. Um, <laughs> I like the seagulls. We've not had any. Uh, we've not had any just yet. But it's it's like uh, it's like Roy Plumley or something like that. You will hear the seagulls. And I will hear the they seagulls. They are going rather wild. Uh, they're inland just because they're so hot. Normally, when they come inland, it means there's a storm coming, and I get excited. Right. At the moment, it's because they can't be asked moving, so they're just sat, lined <laughs> up. It's a bit like sort of like little tiny feathery Gestapo people watching me. Um, and yeah, they're just being very loud, but but not on cue. Not when you need them to be like right now. No, they'll be back. So are. this week, before we get into nice things, 
There's a not-so-nice thing, really, because one of our favourites uh, sadly passed away at the weekend. I mean, I was in Morrison's queue when you sent me a message to alert mm. me to this. And, and I know that I know from interaction with students that Tom O'Connor, who passed away on Sunday, is firstly not given the credit that he deserves. I'll get to that point in a moment. Um, but secondly, is kind of quite forgotten. Uh, and I think there's quite a few reasons for that. Uh, obviously, time passes on. Oh, phone. Let me just turn my phone off. So uh, neither of us are focusing properly today because of the heat. The heat, the man. My the heat. Your phone. Tom yes. O'Connor. Tom O'Connor. So, um, yeah. Um, the passage of time, obviously, because we do, you know, there, there are people, there are guys who built bloody great big pyramids and we don't even remember them. So, you know, you know, people do get forgotten. Another aspect of it is that even I didn't realise until I was about 10 years of age that he was a proper stand-up comic. And that's because we went to a jumble sale, me, mother and Nan, which was what we did at the Methodist Hall in Haydock. Shout out if you're listening. Um... And I and picked up an album called Ace of Clubs, which was recorded in. Um, let me see here, because uh, I've got I've not got that one anymore, so I can't tell you where it was recorded. It was recorded in some club up in Crosby or something like that, mm. um, and it's a brilliant album. It's it is a superb album, and it just captures him uh, early seventies when he was doing his stand up routine, and it's very good. You know, I mean, there's one about going on holiday to Spain. There's a, a bit he does in it about that, and it's just like uh, he's like, "Shall we get to Spain?" You know, and uh, he's like that. He's like, "Yeah, waitero, uno bacardio and cocchio, por and all that." And she's like, "Oh, bet, don't you speak the language well?" I was hearing though, oh, you know. And and so there's lovely little thumbnails of stuff like that. And he does a bit about me old granddad. And it's all about, you know, going down the ale house and, and all this other stuff. And the thing about his humour is it's not only not blue, and this is a reason why he's forgotten as well. It's It gives real grist to this mill that you can actually be bloody funny without taking aim at anyone. Now, sometimes, you know, like figures in authority and stuff like that, they need bringing down a peg or two. But as it's a masterclass in non-offence. If, if, and that is not very fashionable now. The, the other album that I've still got of his is, uh, all right, Mouth. Um, and as you can see, there's the cover of that one. Um, and, and it's not as good. Obviously, it's not as good. It's kind of more of a studio thing but what I, the point i want to make about this um i know you're going to pick up on the sort of tv career but the point i want to make about this is that he was working as a teacher and in the evening he was a comedian in a club and then he was running he was getting his own albums pressed up right he was doing all the talent shows he was doing all this and he sort of he's a great example i think of how you create you can create your own career if no one's willing to give you a chance so i think tom o'connor is he was sort of like you know unfairly described as dave allen with no bollocks um <laughs> And, and um, you know, there is there is sort of, you know, there is a justification for that. Mm. Especially as he was so bloody successful, right? You can't blame him. He obviously got offered these game shows and he just took them. You know, I mean, I, I think the first one I remember anyway is Name That Tune. I don't know about you. 
First one for me. Uh, it, well, again, name that tune, obviously. It wouldn't have been on in my house. Well, no. So, no, dear. No. So I, I, I missed a fair bit of uh, Tom. The, yeah. the I can't believe I... you never... Sorry to interrupt you, but you never saw Nick and Paul. It's like, it's like Paul pornography. It mm. really is. It's all your people. Oh, I know. The I team know, captains. Know. You know... Um, well, you know, it's your, it's your. I know. It's it's precisely my my sort of thing now. Now it's exactly my sort of thing. You'll be but telling me you didn't see. Give us a clue next. I I did see. Give us a clue. Ah, now yeah. I thought I thought that was a little too Protestant to not to not be allowed through. I mean, it's a parlor Michael Aspel. game, Michael. It's a parlor game. We we allow those in. We allow a parlor game. Right. I it see. Should have been on the BBC. I think it was very BBC, and Aspel was such a safe pair of BBC hands. Absolutely, yeah, he was. Mm. It's a strange one that it didn't get there. It, no more strange though if you watch the first two series when the uh, when the theme tune is Chicken Man, better known as uh, the yes, Grange Hill. Grange Hill, and trying to watch it with that. They, oh, the I remember that at the time being a kid, and I, and it completely fried my brain. I couldn't mm. understand how two shows could have the same theme tune. There was a bit no. of that went on, wasn't there? What? There's the seagulls. There's the seagulls. There they go. And that gives me a chance to pause. Um, but no, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I, when I was very young, very young, um, about 23 or so, uh, I was out in Vienna for a short while and I came back. This means um, nothing to me. Absolutely nothing, but it may do in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get the um, crap I, joke, did you? No, no, I did. I did. Oh, good. Still debating whether to tell you this, but sorry. Um, I came. You're back, telling the um, world. I know. I came back uh, with a VHS videotape that might have been slightly. Ha <laughs> um, ha! A Viennese whirl. That's the stuff. And I was sat <laughs> holding this in a bag, thinking, "Will I get this through customs?" <laughs> whilst I'm on, whilst I'm on the Wurlitzer Ferrets wheel, made famous in, of course, uh, the third man. Thinking, Brilliant. Oh, God. Anyway, so I got home and, you know, better enjoy it then. And I put it on and about 20 minutes in, there was a scene. And the scene I took no notice of um, because the background music that they had used was the theme tune from Howard's Way. Oh, get lost! It genuinely was, I swear on my life. Was this tape made for you? Uh, well, it's it's a bit like there's a very well-known thing that there's another uh, skin flick, we would call it, uh, out there somewhere called called Spunky Birthday. Um, <laughs> legend, ha- legend has it that, that it uh, takes place to the theme tune from This Is Your Life. <laughs> <laughs> Spunky Birthday. Spunky Birthday, I believe. Wasn't the theme tune from The Life and Times of David Lloyd George famous for being in a gay porno? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it was, because it's a recycled one anyway, isn't it? From uh, like a western or something, you know the de 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 de. Yeah, isn't it by uh, is it Morricone? Yeah, yeah, it's a Morricone one, isn't it? Yeah. We've strayed from Tom O'Connor quite considerably to you being we up have. a you being up a Ferris wheel in Vienna, clutching in your sweaty mitts a porno, uh, which have. which so if we jump back the Howard's I'm Way not... thing, I bet you I bet that tipped you that I bet you were like ah! I didn't know what was going on. It was like it was like the two sides of my brain started actually fighting. I didn't know ah what now that is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want any smut in my telly. 
You can have smut to one side, right? You don't need shagging, right? You don't need it in things. You don't need it. It's like if you want to watch shagging on a film, right, there's loads of options. You can go to Vienna, right, and and pick up, you know, uh, Howard's Swingers or whatever it was, right? But I find it quite incongruous when it's just like, you know, I'm sort of, oh, I'm enjoying this. Well, you won't know because you don't watch anything after 1989, but... There's quite a lot now where it's just like, oh, is, is this really necessary? You know, I believe there's a film at the minute called The Dig about archaeologists. Yes, yeah, and, I, I'm I, going to watch that quite soon. Oh, right, I better shut up then. Well, no, it's it's fine. I've, I've got to break uh, the habit of a lifetime. I'm going to have to watch it on Netflix. Well, apparently there's a really incongruous sex scene in it. Hmm. But I'm just saying that I, I don't think, you know, it's like if you want to watch Shagging, go watch it, you know. But it's like once you've watched it and, you know, you've, you've, uh, to issue, um, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's like watching um, a cookery program once you've eaten. You don't want to see it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, indeed, indeed, yes, yes. Um, anyway, Tom O'Connor, so. Um, <laughs> No, 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 hang on. So, uh, right, so are you referring to programming that is currently being made? Because when you say that, I think to myself, well, the chamomile lawn had some raunchy scenes in it, but admittedly that was in 1989. But you're talking about the the flash of milky thigh or a (laughs) well-rounded buttock. These days, it's just full-on filth. Do you know what I mean? They put in things. I mean, I'll return to Vikings again, because... Vikings, Amazon Prime's Vikings. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. Errant filth. Um, Tom O'Connor. Ho ho. No, let me just write something down because you've reminded me of something that needs to be brought up. All right, well, no, just go for last. it. That's all right. All right, can... then, fair enough. Last yeah. week, of course, we were talking about BritBox, which I've taken out a subscription to. Ah. Um, yes. Uh, this is um, good. This is like a proper it, show now. It is it? Yeah, because you're... Talking about something you talked about, look. Oh well, I mean, it's it's a bit like Watchdog, isn't it? I'm getting excited. <laughs> no, last week. So, all right. So, got BritBox, and I thought, let's let's work our way through it. Let's try and sort of make friends with it. So, like I told you, I sat down with the comfort blanket of Doctor Who and the Seeds of Death with Patrick yes. Troughton. Now, we do come to a couple of problems here, as mentioned last week. So, for example, we've got the fact that the credits are cut off halfway through. Now, the credits on a Troughton, they whiz that roller off. It's like, done, directed by, finished. So you only get about two and a half seconds to actually sort it, which that that annoyed me. But you know what? It's it's more than that. (laughs) And I don't like these things being in a box set, right? And I've realised it is something that really pisses me off. Um, I don't like the idea of here's a whole series. (laughs) We've dropped it. There it is. It's all there for you now. I mm. need to be drip fed. I think. Mm. Well, you I were doing that. that. You were you were imposing that upon yourself, weren't you? I remember you saying that we watch an episode of Crossroads every night, and, d- 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 and you were you were kind of creating your schedule. Absolutely, but I want to impose it on everybody because I yes. think it would be better. That's the thing. I I just think that sometimes it's like I noticed before when I was thinking. You know, we're not far from Christmas, obviously. Obviously. Um, So, where's the Box of Delights DVD? Having a look for it and that sort of thing. Couldn't find it, so I thought, oh, okay. Is it on BritBox? And there it is. Six episodes, just Mm. like, dropped. 
And I don't think I, there's something which to me about certain programs, which is almost a bit too nice to be treated in just that sort of almost throw away, drop drop ten episodes of The Crown. They're over there. Fallen down. I, I agree with you entirely. And you know it goes I mean? back to episode one when we were discussing how television is an art form that has an identity crisis. It's yes. not meant to be consumed like that. And when you talk about something like The Seeds of Death or whatever it may be, or the, you know, The Box of Delights, those programs were made... What was it you were talking about last week? Let me try and think now. You were talking about The Happiness Patrol, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where you said it was meant to be was a it? film noir. Yes, that's right, yeah. Right. Yeah, The Happiness Patrol something, it owes a bit of a debt to um, Ballard, doesn't it? High Rise. Is that the one? It does. It does, yeah. 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 Uh, no, no, that's Paradise Towers. Paradise, so Towers. Paradise Towers, yeah. yeah. My, my, but my, you've my... still got the whole dystopian sort of civilization yeah. thing going on there. Yeah. And Sheila Hancock's fucking great in everything anyway. Absolutely. Uh, um, um, God, this heat. Oh, aye. So you were saying that the colours look mad because it hadn't been filmed. So what I'm saying is when programme makers, they create things, in the same way when you see the Adams Family House, how the colours, so that they look mad in black and white. Programme makers, they they make them for a, a weekly digest or whatever it might be. Certainly if it was made pre-all this bollocks. Mm. So to, to just glut on them like that, I don't think it works, mate. I don't think you're doing a service to the source material. And also, that's not how the human mind works anyway, is it? We no. want things to be exclusive. If we can't have... It's like me with this like Wham! Annual 1969, right? Or the Buster Annual 1963. Whatever it may be. Or whatever you're after. Once you've got it, it's, it's like chasing a woman, isn't it? Once you've got it, you're like, eh, all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, yeah. that's, that's, you know, not always true. But... Um, <laughs> But these things need to be a little bit exclusive, don't they? They need mm. to be a little bit elusive. You know, you need to... I remember the Box of Delights, for example, and I recall that from one week to the next, my imagination would spin around everything I'd seen the previous week and create entirely... It, it, it'd expand the landscape. It would create scenes that weren't there. I would figure out things that... that if you watched it all in one go, you you don't take that time to go down the the sort of round the corners and and look around the whole uh, thing really, because um, programs back then particularly get, tried to give the audience some credit for intelligence, didn't they? And and they wanted the, there was room for in, your own imagination in them. No, absolutely, there was, and and you're right. If you, if you, if you know that episode two is going to come on before the credits have even finished, and you let it run, well, mm. what well, you know, well, you don't have that opportunity, do you? You don't have the opportunity. It's the bits around the edges again. It's the yeah. experience, yep, yep, uh, yep. connected with it. That that whole experiential moment yep. of just pondering, what about this? What about that? Um, there was a wonderful. Did you see? Oh, it was called What's My Story, right? And it was on in, oh, you may be just a little a little bit old for it. It was on Children's BBC, about 87, 88. And it was hosted by Sylvester McCoy. Okay. And it was between, actually, I think it was 88. It was between his second and third series of Doctor Who. 
And the way that it what uh, what happened was you got your first episode of a drama, which was about fifteen minutes, and it set up these two characters. I think they were a brother and a sister, and a mystery in a cave, right? Right. And it got to the end of the episode, and then Sylvester says, "So we want you to tell us what happens in the next episode." And they've got the uh, they've got the ladies manning the phones. And you could phone in, and my idea is this, that they go down there as this reptile. That was my idea. Something about a reptile, anyway. Um, and then script writers would have to churn the script out for the next episode, give it to the actors as it's being written. They rehearsed it at the actor the next morning. Whilst the sets are being built, they could have suddenly said, it goes into a rocket. They've got to build a rocket. Right. Get it into, I think it was in Studio 3, TC3. Do the episode live. Sylvester says, oh, but what happens in episode 3? What do you think? And... Now, that sort of thing, that opportunity to yeah. interact in that way, I think that, that that's something that's obviously going to be missing with the whole box set thing, but also it's going to be missing because who the hell would do that these days? On it for, yeah. for a kid's TV channel, nobody would do that sort of madness. Well, I think what you say is it's to expand upon what you the point you were making. It's, for example, the Box of Delights was six weeks of your life as mm. opposed to three hours. Mm. You know, and if something's just there, it becomes wallpaper, doesn't it? It's kind of television as wallpaper. It's it's not something that you look forward to, you know. So you've got six weeks of a child's life's a long bloody time anyway. It is, absolutely. And so when you're out playing as a kid in these... See, where I grew up, my my walk home from school at that time... What, what year was Box Delights? 84? Yes. Yeah, so I was at secondary school. I thought it was because I remember it was kind of, um, I think it was about two and a half, three miles or something the school was away. And because we were incredibly poor, um, I got a free bus ticket, but I used to sell that to school friends for 15 pence so I could buy crisps. (laughs) Um, And I would walk home with my crisps. Um, But the sort of, and I didn't give a shite anyway because it was all across fields and stuff like that. And around this time i was literally i was walking home through snowy fields and then i was seeing you know so by the time the episode came around on the sunday i'd had a whole week of being in a world like that mm. and it's that thing again isn't it whereby your experience reflects what's on the telly mm. absolutely and i think that's one series isn't it which which you need to do in those stages it has to be the six weeks leading yeah. to christmas it's got to be if you if you just think oh we'll do the whole lot on christmas eve well you're not going to enjoy it so i think what we should do is a public service and we will announce when we're coming yeah. up to a, a rewatch of the box of delights and maybe you and i can do something extra that's special. a really good idea that's a that really good idea nice. yeah it was, was so good. special that i mean it, it, it really was so because I just seem to remember loads of features in the lead up to it. You know, this is how we did this. This is how we did that. Um, and and for me, it was kind of, I'd have been, what, 11. So that's always a cracking time for you. Like, I mean, you'd have been, what, seven or something? What, are you four years younger than me? Three or uh, something? 84, I've been nine. Yeah, you're two years younger than me. So, yeah. again, you, it's that sweet spot, isn't it, where you, mm. your mind's still full of imagination and stuff like that. Mm. Um, Absolutely. But I mean, yeah, that Christmas Eve episode is just is just lovely, isn't it? the The trouble with it, I still have a gripe with it, is the it was just a dream. 
thing. It's such a cop-out. I've watched it with people in adulthood, and then that's happened, and they've got, like, quite violent with me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, because mm. they've invested so much in this this thing. Yeah. And... But, but but is it? Because as he's, be, as he's walking down the station, he looks over and he sees the two clergymen, and they're sat there, and they tip him the wink. So there is a little... There's a I I cling on to that. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't really. But but it, it's it's just a TV program, you know, dear. None of it's real. I mean, this is the, the these are the, the you know I'm the same. I suspend disbelief. Just uh, probably worse than you. I'm I don't, no, not worse than you. But but <laughs> but yeah, you like hang on, but none of it's real anyway, and it's like. Uh, no. no 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 it's it's it's. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to go with that because I can't explain it. It exists somewhere else, really, if it's well done. Yeah. If, it, if it's that beautiful sort of, um, oh, when they've got that sort of ghost light, you know, when it's almost like there's something ethereal to it. And certain shows have got it. Box of the Lights yeah. has got it. I Maintain Dark Shadows has got it, even though it's done in a panic every single day. There's certain shows that have got that quality to them. And well... And they Robert, do fire the imagination. Robert Stevens' voice after like decades of Olympic smoking and drinking. Yes. He was at um, he was at Rada with Jeremy Brett. Oh no, Ooh. not at Rada. Where were they at? They weren't at Rada. I think they were at, at Manchester or something. They trained at Manchester. I can't remember anyway. But yeah, so him and Stevens knew each other, mm. you know, forever. Uh, and their stories as young actors are, are legendary. Yeah, um, and this uh, wonderful thing, isn't there? <laughs> uh, where at the end of uh, Box of Delights, uh, Robert Stevens, Sir Robert Stevens, of course yes. we should say, Sir Robert, um, of course is meant to fall into the into the water and drown. And they had uh, a stuntman. Don't know if you know this. They had a stuntman ready to do it for him. Absolutely not. No, he'll go away. Uh, pissed out of his head. <laughs> And then just, we're going, right, and threw himself into the water. And then he's just screaming and thrashing about, having the time of his life, but apparently just completely pissed. Oh, marvellous. That's exactly what you want. Him, Nicole Williamson, and all those old guys. Yeah, have oh, you seen the Peter O'Toole interview where um, he's talking about how he got the epitaph for his gravestone? This is long before he died. Mm. Um, and he said um, that he had this. He said I had a leather jacket in the sixties, and I wore it everywhere. It was covered in alcohol and tobacco and other substances. And I sent it away to be dry cleaned, and they they returned it to me with a label which said, "We regret to return goods which are not of sufficient quality," or something like that. And it is on his grave so gravestone. <laughs> We regret to return goods that are uh, if, uh, if something like that. You'll have to look it up. But That's and I'll tell you what. What I can do now is I can do a sort of a six degrees of separation to come back to another point, which yeah. is this, which is of course Robert Stevens as well. He was married to Maggie Smith first, but after Maggie Smith, he was married to Patricia the woman in Box of Delights who looks Patricia like Patricia Quinn. Yeah. yeah, who is in Box of Delights, but she is also one of the lead guest stars in Dragonfire. Which All is right. in the season twenty. She's in a great minder with George Sewell. Ah, who's in season twenty-five yet to come out, and then we can link from there to Time and the Rani that you were saying was crap, and something that I found out this week, which is you know in the box of delights in the first episode when the train goes through a tunnel and suddenly 
that bloke lurches forward and he's got the head of a fox just yeah. for a second. In the final scene of Time and the Rani, McCoy is stood in the TARDIS with all of these various extras. <laughs> one of them's got the fox head on. Right. The same one, except right. it's balanced. Uh, it's not wearing it, presumably you couldn't, so you can just see that it's balanced on someone's head and sticking off at an angle. There you go. I well, don't know what I was leading to with that. But, uh, yeah. Six degrees of separation. How do you do it? Um, that's the stuff. Yeah, we did say no more Doctor Who talk, but hey, I don't, I don't see how the Venn diagram <laughs> just crosses over with it all the time, doesn't it? Does, it? There's, well, it's because there's so bloody much of it. You've got decades, yeah. and it seems to interweave. But Tom O'Connor, however, Tom O'Connor, yes, Crosswits, for me, it was Crosswits, um, right, where I first became aware of him, and I think it was because Colin Baker was the guest star for a week of them. So I thought, oh, I'll watch it because he's on. Yeah. And I I got absolutely addicted. And was this, this student was, days? Uh, this was when I was doing my A-levels. I was at college doing my A-levels. Yeah, it fits the bill, that sort of thing, doesn't it? It does. Every morning, 9.25, after TVAM went off, which I loved because you could actually see the transmitter do that snap. Yeah. When yes, quite right. The... TVAM, yeah? Yeah, yeah. As it went from TVAM to Yeah, Granada there was just a flicker, there. wasn't there? That's right, yeah. Um, and then you go to Crosswits, and I, I loved it. And I think it was to do with the fact that Tom O'Connor's a man. He was obviously a consummate professional. He wasn't phased by whatever he had to do. Yeah. He was brilliant with the contestants. He could draw humour out of anything. But he was quick-witted. Yeah. So quick-witted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the epitome of that genial host, which we don't get now. Game show hosts these days, you've got Paddy McGuinness shouting. Oh, no. Shit at With people. scantily clad women. This goes back yeah. to my other point. Bang yeah. a bluey on, if that's your thing. Yeah, let the tits see the arsehole and all that. And I, no, oh, Paddy. no. This sounds like you've actually seen one. No, I've seen clips, and it was enough to make me quite violent. I got quite angry with uh, the Love Island Twitter feed the other day. Suddenly Twitter thought, oh, would you like to see this? Uh, no, no, I would not, and I explained why. Um, suggested, suggested a dose of amoebic dysentery would make the programme better. But, that would. Um, that would. It would make it infinitely better. Didn't he also... Have- didn't he also rack up the highest number of appearances in Dictionary Corner on... Um- Countdown. Not Paddy McGuinness. Tom oh, O'Connor. Uh, Tom O'Connor. Um, I it is very hot. Yeah, so yeah, hot. yeah. He, I, um, I saw a thing at the weekend. He's in the jumper where it's a thousand appearances on Countdown. Oh, my God. No, I didn't know that at all. Um, there's a joke, yeah, isn't there, about... Um, the Pope who's doing the, the tour of Ireland, isn't it? And it's and what what did you make of County Down? And he's like, I preferred it when Carol was on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Yes, yeah, so he did one. that. And and you might know this, but I didn't, obviously. Mm. Um he won uh Come Dine with me in two thousand and ten. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So he sort of he has actually continued a little bit, but um, I think that it's those late 70s, early 80s things, isn't it? The, the populated, that whole landscape was populated by, let me try and remember. Now, there was, the Bob Monkhouse show was on a Monday night on BBC Two. It sort of came up in the, because he was only known for, he was another one who was only known for game shows. And then you saw his stand up and you're like, fucking hell, man. 
You're amazing. You know what yeah. I mean? I remember not long before he died, they put one on BBC Four. He did um, a stand. Was that the one? Was that the one which he did in front of his peers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob's Last Stand. Yeah, that he was, fucking that was slayed it. Phenomenal, and the man knew he was dying, and soon. And I tell you what, I'm going to watch that again. Yeah, that, that was that, boss. Absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. Um, but yeah, yeah you, you're right. You get these people who are known for the game shows because yeah. they because they do them well. But unfortunately, what you have to have to be a decent game show host is you have to have that ability to to react. You know, if auto cue is not there and you've got contestants, yeah. you've got to be able to jump back and forth with them. And I maintain to this day that if you want to see a, a really image, an impressive. Uh, illustration of people being startled. Look at Anton Deck if their auto cues ever go down. It's like a couple yeah. of meerkats. Like, oh, what do we do? Yeah. Um, you've got to have that ability to improvise, and that's why a club comic, I think, with a massive studio audience and contestants, that's why they work so well, isn't it? With yeah. uh, something like that. In the same way as Bruce Forsyth, I think, if you ever want to see, I mean, when he did uh, Sunday Nights at the London Palladium. You have beat the clock, so you had the game show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything yeah. Everything else has beat the clock. There, we did, and live um, as well, mate. Live, live. Apparently, the one who, you know, wouldn't even have an art OQ, wouldn't have anything, was Wogan. Mm. You know, young directors were like shit in their pants when they used to do Eurovision with him and that, and he's like, oh no, I don't need any of that, and he's just like, right, and he just, do, 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 do. he knew, you know, the whole. It was mapped in his brain the the way well, TV a worked. Thing that happens, isn't it? It's that symbiotic sort of relationship that you can see developing between uh, presenter and camera when they can sort of like when they know the rhythm of what they're doing. So yeah. they know that as they talk, if they naturally incline their head that way, they know the cut to that camera. Is yeah, that they, they can do that. <laughs> Casualties worldwide. It's plagued the globe and still remains a mystery to us. Bacteria? Maybe some residue from the plague degraded viruses? I don't know what. A crash course in survival for Mike and Paul as they face the destruction of all things nice. If our children and their children are going to survive, we're going to have to learn an awful lot of things. Coming soon Survivors on Nice Things. Um, yeah. Do you know I actually saw a nice thing this week, which I, I wasn't expecting to, um, which uh, was a bit like that. And it was uh, there was a presenter on Blue Peter who left uh, after eight years, and they left this week, and that was refreshing because you know what? It's still exactly the same program. Right. It's bigger and it's noisier. And the and the crew in the studio shout, which I don't like. But what? They, they whoop, Michael. They whoop. Oh, good in. God, man! Yes, but it's still interestingly, it's the same same program, same everything. And uh, the girl who was leaving, who who I think she was the first one that Blue Peter competition winners ever. Uh, the, no, Blue Peter viewers chose eight years ago in like right. voting thing. And she's done eight years on it. And Lindsay Russell, I think. Yeah, Lindsay Duncan's the actress. Lindsay Russell. And the way that she was communicating camera to camera was stunning. 
And to yeah. actually see that that's still there, and I thank God we do still have a live programme like that going out, so that you can see people learning that that, that craft. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. And nice to see it still there, and still basically the same programme that you wouldn't have watched because it wasn't Magpie. No. no. Absolutely <laughs> not. Bunch of toffee-nosed kids. <laughs> it was... It, Blue Peter was always, for me, it was like teachers... It was like watching the teachers from school. It was like, no. You know what I mean? I, and and you had Mick Robertson on the other side. He looked like Mark Bolan. And, and it was like, you know, hey. I, to be honest with you, the best of all that crop was Why Don't You? And that was a BBC thing. You, you don't like Why Don't You, then? No, I don't. Shall I tell you why? Yes, because I love it. Okay, I'll tell you why I don't like Why Don't You, Mike. In 1990... And the producers of Why Don't You were looking to cast uh, at the Liverpool gang and they came to our school and auditioned. And I, w- I didn't know what the audition was for and so uh, took part and was asked, would you like to be in this? We're shooting Why Don't You? And I said, absolutely not. I'm not be. Why? Because I hated it. But I didn't... <sighs> oh, dear. Right, and I you know would, what the worst thing is of all of this? Go on. Is that that year, for the first time... Well, why don't you got a new producer? I know who where decided, you're going. Well, let's Russell bring in Davis. drama, Russell T. Davis. That yes, was the first yes, series. yes. I was... I'm... It's the one... It's probably the only thing which I am still angry with myself about from my... I can't believe youth. you said No. I can't. I'm so angry. And a couple of... Uh, someone... I can't slander on this, sadly. But there's someone who, should we say, didn't deserve to do it, who got to. And I was... They sulked. got my place, Mammy. Yes. Well, I what? said no. I said no. It was my own bloody fault. But I'm well, still angry about that. Why don't you say yes? That's the thing, <laughs> isn't it? You know? Um, but look, I mean, we, we've all got, you know, regrets. We've got regrets in life, you know. To be honest with you, I'm racking my brains now. I can't think of one. Um, but, Nothing as uh, bad as that, at least. No. I'm trying to think if I regret anything. Do I regret anything? Not really. No. Well, Not really. No. I've um, I've had quite a boring life, actually. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a pisser with stuff like that, isn't it? I, I know, mm. I know. I just can't believe you said no. That's unbelievable. I know, I know. I know. I, I'm still... What was I? I was 14 or 15. And here we are over, what, 30 years later, and I'm still angry about it. And there are certain people who have tried to befriend me on Facebook from my school days, and I've refused them because they were in it and I wasn't. Oh, well, you know, I think that that's something you need to face head on. Should I demand they make a new series of Why Don't You just with me shouting at the young children? I think... You make friends with these people from school who took your place, right? And you allow that wound to heal. I have no desire to speak to any of these people. <laughs> so, was there anything that wouldn't have happened in your life if you'd taken that opportunity? No. No, it would have just been nice. That's the problem. It's not. You like might have been Doctor been... Who. I haven't thought about that. Get lost. I, I bet you've thought of little else. I have about... thought about that a few oh. times, yes. 
I think, oh, I remember someone who was only 15 when I worked with him. Now I'm casting this reboot. Oh, let's phone him up. Uh, might have thought about that. But, you know, you might have disgraced yourself, Paul. I, I would have disgraced myself. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? You know, um, uh, we used to do a college radio station. I downed a bottle of vodka in like one <laughs> and did a show one night. I disgraced myself. You know, Didn't it you happens. get a formal letter off the IBA? I've got it in this very writing bureau here. Yes, the Radio Authority. The Radio Authority. Um, <laughs> it, what is it? Something along the lines which which describes itself as an indie show. Mm. Um, featured references to drug use and someone in the background saying fucking tractors, brackets, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and so we sent them a tape I used to do this thing with one of these Casio CT670s that I have here I bought one because it was such a figure in my life back then and it's got the old Casio tone on it so you press a key and it goes right you know so it's Casio tone you can press one key and it'll do the thing so I used to do this um, character called Harold Macmillan and this was his whirling machine now there's many reasons for it, because I, I, I used to do it in a German accent, so I used to do Smith's songs <laughs> in a German accent and call myself Harold Macmillan and his whirling machine. And it was all like, is it wrong to want to live on your own? But but all done with this, <laughs> Sheila takes a bow. Um, but that wasn't the end of it. I mean, there was a ton of other shit me and me mate Skez did. We were at college, so people were like, would you like a radio show? Yes. Come, what do you <laughs> want us to do? Do anything you want. Yeah. You sure? So um, so we did, and uh, we sent this tape off to the radio authority, and uh, they said, we've listened back to that, and we can find nothing objectionable about it, so the complaint is uh, withdrawn, thrown away, whatever it is. They said, but um, where do we write to to join the Harold Macmillan fan club? <laughs> <laughs> so, a funny story there. So Harold Macmillan, which I, I donned a great coat, put on an Einstein mask, took the old CT670 down to the local British gas showrooms when they opened, and Harold did his one and only gig supporting Take That. Because <laughs> they were just starting off, right? Take That were yeah. just starting off. And I think... Um, <laughs> The original manager was Gary Barlow's dad, maybe. Anyway, Gary Barlow's from Frodsham. So, um, so I only know this in hindsight. I didn't have a clue on... They were just f five blokes. Do you get what I mean? They were just five young blokes, like, all oiled up and dancing and stuff. And I'm like that, you know what I mean? Uh, hand in gloves, ish sun shines out of our behinds, and all this stuff. So it was um, very much the cure its egg. Um... But yeah, Bob, who ran the radio station, my tutor, he um, he drove us down there in this van, and we sat in the back, and I just smoked lots of joints, and then um, got up and um, supported take that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the the Harold Macmillan fan club. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, but you don't regret any of that, of course. No, no, no. I, I'm trying to honestly wrap my brains now for I regret. Hmm. I. I don't know. I've got a, a funny brain like that. I, I sort of, I, 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 I erase trauma very quickly. Is that, is that because, is that because of the whole thing of being used to the idea of confession and being able to take those bad things and sort of 
dispose of them almost in that way. Whereas obviously from from my perspective, it, it sort of sits more heavily, I think. Yeah, Is you don't get... Oh, I get the guilt. I get guilt. I get yeah. lots of guilt. I mean, that goes with the, the Catholic territory. You've got to have that. that you know, but you feel guilty about everything. don't regret and guilt go hand in hand? No, not, well, no. not for me. Because regret right. would be going, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Whereas guilt is just, oh, fucking hell, you shouldn't have done that. You're a bit of a, uh, you know what I mean? But oh, okay. um, or maybe yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. I don't know. I, I sort hmm. of associate regret with decisions you didn't make or opportunities you didn't take, such as why don't you auditions and things like that, you know. Yeah. But I have gone through periods of my life where I've had lots of regret and hmm. then I've come out the other side and it's been like, ah, right, so, so that was meant to happen for this to happen. Do you get yeah. what I mean? And that's why I'm yeah, saying yeah. with why don't you, you know, is the is there something else that happened in your life to compensate? No. No, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't anything at all. No, everything would have happened in exactly the same way. Everything. I would have still got crap GCSE results, gone to college. Everything would have happened exactly the same. The only difference is now I could say, oh, but look, Mike, look what I've got on a VHS tape. This is me in wider. But it I might do not that. have done. It might have gone on. I mean, life hangs on those little chances, doesn't it? You know, you might have met. This is the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, like going, you do a show and you think, I'll get this and this out of this show and something completely different. You get used to that after a while, don't you? you get used to the fact that, look, yeah, that cool thing didn't happen. I thought it would come of this bit of work, but this has, and this is better than I thought, you know? Mm. And I think no. that that's probably why I don't really think about it, because I'm in a period of my life at the minute whereby all the things that I did, all the decisions I might have regretted taking or something, have all proved to be the right thing, really, because in the end, you know, uh, what is it? what's that saying? If it hasn't turned out... Everything turns out for the best in the end. And if it hasn't turned out for the best, then it's probably not the end. Um, and, and that's kind of the way it is, really, isn't it? You know, I don't know about the why don't you thing. I don't think you're ever going to make peace with that. Never. Never, ever in my whole life. There's been other things. I, I'm, I'm so cross about that. I got on stage with John Inman when I was nine. Lovely. I, I did that. I... I went up to Nicholas Parsons drunk in 2014 <laughs> and got a selfie. I don't regret that. This is the one thing. But what go, oh, if, God. let's just say in a mad world, right? Yeah. What if yeah. Russell T. Davis hears this, yeah. <laughs> gets in touch, and he's like, right, Paul, right, okay, I remember that audition or whatever it was. Why don't we, not why don't you, but why don't we do this mad thing? Do you see what I mean? But all it, he's going to do is he's going to write a letter that says, Dear Paul, why didn't you take that opportunity that could have led to this, you silly bastard? Love, Russell. And he'll be totally justified in doing this, I have to say. Would you enjoy reading that letter and receiving it? Yes. Oh, there you go. Like that. So, there you go. So if you're listening, Russell, Paul yeah. needs closure. I do. I really he does. Do. He does. He really does. Um... No nice things this week, do you? There have been a couple of nice things this week, Ooh, actually. Um, very nice. The other day... Let me move my drink. Hang on. Oh, God, it's hot. The other day, um, I popped to the charity shops to do a little Ooh. bit of a vinyl shop. And there was nothing worth mm. getting. Now, of course, um, post-first lockdown, there were, seemed to be a lot of people's records collections uh, being Oh, donated. I see. 
So I, I picked up some absolute beauties there. On this occasion, absolutely nothing. There were uh, in one shop. There were four copies of Manuel and the Music of the Mountains. So I'd have had no. that. Uh, I've already got it on tape though. So, ah. but what I did get a couple of nice things here. This one I, I started on, uh, and this was the day after we recorded. This no, uh, Tynan. Uh, Tynan's book on theatre, which is a collection of his writings uh, on theatre, which is rather nice. That's a very nice thing. I'd love that. That's a nice thing. But uh, this, and I, I think I showed you, but I haven't showed the boys and girls at home, um, is, is this. Oh, beautiful. Now then, this is uh, the illustrated uh, Sherlock Holmes. It's the original, it's how they were originally uh, printed out in the Strand magazine, yeah. was it? Um, so w- when you look into it, you've got... Um, just, just as they would have been printed yes. in the magazine. The Absolutely Paget. Forty-nine p. That is that. beyond belief. Because I've not got that imprint of it, but I've got the same thing, and I got that from a bookshop in Southport in nineteen ninety-nine for about three quid. So you, you, you that's an inflation-busting nice thing, there, mate. That is, isn't it? I, and I have to say as well, I've got to confess here, that that is, I think, my first Sherlock Holmes book. Well, might I suggest, if you were just... Are you, are you just going to dip in and out of it? I think so, yeah. going to dip. Right. Get, go with the five orange pips, because it's so short, and it's amazing. And then, as a chaser, should you fancy it, have some Clive Merrison and Michael Williams doing the five orange pips. Oh. Now, my dear. Now, my dear boy. He's a very nice thing. That series is just gorgeous. It is just so good, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. I've I've heard a couple, and him Mm. and Williams together, they work beautifully together. Yeah. Uh, Clive Merrison is an actor I want to, I, I want to see more of, and I want him to have done this massive back catalogue of work because whatever you see him doing. He can't help forming an interesting character. Mm. Um, and again, to go back to the Who stuff, unfortunately, it usually does. He's um, in the Tomb of the Cybermen. I think it was one of his early jobs. He's about 22, 23. And he plays what would have been a very boring role of just sort of a cipher, someone who's there to just sort of say yes, no, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But he gives him this indecisiveness. So if someone says, can you pass me that? He goes, uh, yeah, yeah, you go. Sort of ponderousness, and that's not scripted. That's that's rehearsal. That's the actor rehearsing. Yeah. But then, if you see the film Heavenly Creatures, which is a Peter Jackson film uh, with Kate Winslet, it's an early, I think it's 1994, and it's about a murder that took place, the Pauline Parker murder in New Zealand, mm. um, where two girls uh, developed a friendship, which then they started writing this Tolkien-esque sort of stuff together, and it's all true, this. Uh, And then they basically created a fictional world that they both believed they could actually inhabit. And they played these characters within there. It's like role-play, but they started to believe it. And they believed that um, one of the girls' mums was the obstacle and was going to stop them. And so one day they battered her to death. Um, And I know that one of the girls who did it is now a famous crime writer who lives in this country and I can't remember her name. So we're going back to the 50s when this happened. But Clive Merrison plays uh, Kate Winslet's dad and he 
does so much with very little. He creates a sympathetic man just through his eyes. He just mm. uses his eyes. He has sad eyes when he plays that one mm. all the way through that just become sadder. And he's it's not the rest of the face, it's just the eyes. And that's beautiful yeah. to watch. That's stunning actor class. The the voice acting and, and Michael Williams as well on, on those mm. Sherlock Holmes things. I mean in terms of audio, I mean, obviously, there's probably not a great deal of competition, but he's he's amazing. I mean, for TV, you know, Brett, Brett and Hardwick are just, you know, those first 13 adventures of. Yes. I just, I mean, I, I like it all. It's, it's a weird one to watch as it develops because Jeremy Brett himself sort of, he, he decays so much over those... I think it's tw- 19 years they were making them from about, or oh, was it 83 or 84? I can't remember which. And they continued until, um, no, would have been nine years or something, wouldn't it? 93, they stopped making them. Um, and in those years, he ages so much and he gets really bloated and fat. And, um, yeah, interesting character, but because of the way his health suffered in real life, the... Um, the aging of Holmes is so believable in it, mm. you know, and the way that Hardwick, uh, uh, sorry, who's the first one? David, I got that wrong. It's too hot. No, I said Hardwick um, was the original Watson. David Burke. Mm. So when you get that break between adventures and return of, and uh, you know, um, David Burke and Edward Hardwick. Edward Hardwick is quite believable as David Burke aged, mm. you know, in those years, whereas Jeremy Brett himself has aged. You know, it's so sad to watch some of them. I mean, in um, in uh, the memoir of the last series, you know, there's one in which uh, Sherlock, Charles Gray. You can't do a Charles Gray at this time of day. You've got to do it in the morning when you wake up. You can do it really, Charles Gray. Really, Sherlock. Charles Gray, um, yeah. But um, he takes his place in uh, the Golden Pince-Nez. Oh, Pince-Nez, I don't know how you say it. Um but yeah, f- for me, Brett is the one. I remember they used to show those Basil Rathbone um, films on a Friday tea time on BBC Two, but mm, never for me. What about no. you? <coughs> Cushing well, it, was good. It, it, it's, the, it's the evening for revelations for you uh, tonight, Michael. You're drawing them out of me. Um, I, I have to uh, throw my hat into the ring with Rathbone. Because, uh, well, my mother's maiden name is Rathbone. He is. We are of the same family. We are uh-huh. both of the Rathbone family of Liverpool. Uh, his branch shifted over to South Africa and came back. So there is actually, bizarrely, my eldest son. At uh, fifteen, we got uh, when when uh, we looked at his uh, school photo together, and then uh, looked at a photo of uh, Basil Rathbone at that age. Pretty close. So really, gonna, really. Isn't that that's superb? Yeah, that's that's, that's just a lovely uh, connection. Anyway, I'd be uh, I'd be pleased with that. Uh, I'm I'm very pleased with that. Yeah. To actually, think oh, we've got that that lovely relationship there. So, do you but, know anything about him beyond Holmes? Because I don't. And we I know bits. I certainly know where he lived um, when he was back in Liverpool for a bit. Um, well, I mean, I know more about the family, the Rathbone family, very famous uh, uh, philanthropic family in Liverpool. But you ended up with two branches of the family um, at some point there's a bit of a split uh, and one of them got the money and the others didn't and mine didn't um, but yeah. uh, the, the interesting thing there is and I think VE Day 
is when we've got to go to VE Day, um, when <coughs> there was um, a celebration in a park in Liverpool, in Wavertree. And my granddad was there with my nan uh, in 1945. Um, and Eleanor Rathbone uh, was there, the famous Eleanor Rathbone MP. And she clocked my granddad. And she went over and she was saying, have we met? Have we met? I'm sure we must have met at some point. He said, no, no, we've never met. Oh, no, I think we have met. I know the face. I definitely know the face. What, I, what's your name? I'll know your name. And he said, well, my name's James Rathbone. <laughs> and she turned and she was off like a fucking greyhound. Wow. So we, we don't know why. Don't know why, but she was like, woof, out of here. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Probably some shenanigans with money or something. I mean, there was a lot of those people. I, I had a... What would he be to me? He was my nan's cousin, so nothing to me. Uh, But he was the result of her auntie being in service and, um, you know, uh, my lordship's Mm -hmm. pleasure. And um, so she had this um, lord's son who was born what they used to call the wrong side of the blanket. (laughs) Because obviously they used to have shenanigans on top of the bedclothes, didn't they? Uh, With servants and stuff like that. And her name is on a memorial to the staff at at this hall. I don't want to get into any trouble, so I'm not going to name any names here. But Mm. uh, um, yeah, so there was a lot maybe she thought something along those lines it could well be sadly sadly we will never know that's lost in there but that the family home is still there in liverpool i do look at it and think want if you'd have done why don't you you could have earned enough money to buy it back (laughs) um you you horrible man where is that where is that um it's uh it's rathbone house it's uh it's Smithdown. Smithdown, Smithdown, yeah. Smithdown, yeah. Because you've got Sudbury House, haven't you, as well, which mm. was the Mellies. So George Melly was a member. His family were the Sudburys, weren't they? That's right, yeah. And his sister Andre, who was in Hancock's Half Hour, as yeah. one of his. Where, uh, bizarrely, she had a foreign accent for a while. She she was played as yeah. French, Andre. And then they dropped it in one week. She just didn't. Those early Hancocks are really strange, though, aren't they? So he had a, he had a girlfriend with Andre, and then and then there's those bits, isn't there? Where I think it's um, I think it's is it Ray Galton who does it? Well, I don't think you should do that anyway. No, I don't. Yeah, and there's like it is. little yeah. conversation he has with Hancock. Yeah, that that's Ray Galton. They are very strange. They don't. It takes a while to bed in that yeah. show. It does take a while to bed in, but of course, in those days, you would get the opportunity to bed in. Yeah. Um, I think that if if that series started now, you'd hear the first two or three. Oh no, we don't need that. But that opportunity yeah. to allow it to develop is something that maybe we don't have. Well, it's an entire world you can escape to, Hancock. I mean, it, it really is, isn't it? I mean, you're gone. And it is, it's that lack of format as well. Again, it's not a dissimilar thing to Doctor Who in the fact that, you know, one week Hancock is Tony Hancock, the, the comedian who works at the BBC. The next week he's a lawyer. The following week he's... Uh, it, he jumps about profession. One week yeah. he's living in 22 railway cuttings. The next is he lives in a house at the bottom of an airstrip. Yeah. You, you don't have this defined format. And I, I love it for that, that he can oh. be anything. Just straight away in it. It's like, you know, you think of things like Bill and Father Christmas. And again, it's it's these peripheral things, the bits around the edges, isn't it? And and for me, that is Christmas 
1987 um, smoked bacon and brown sauce butty uh, it was on Radio 4 they were playing Hancock's every day and Bill and Father Christmas was on it was like oh my god and I just remember everything about it you know yeah. um, and the colours and the smells and absolutely everything attached everything, to it, everything everything the Maison Seine yeah and that's really the sort of object of, of this whole podcast anyway, isn't it? It's to talk when we're not too hot and sleepy like this. It's it's to talk about things like that. But um what's the one what's the one where the orphans come to stay? Yeah, that's a Christmas one, isn't it? Because mm. um, it's on it's on the BBC radio collection, double gazette. Yes, I, I've got Christmas. the what have I got? I've got CDs, I think, of them. Um yeah, it's one of the Christmas ones, and I want to say that the one of the kids is played by someone who became famous. But Probably I think is. I'm wrong. I've got a feeling that it's more that neither of them did become famous, which I found interesting. I expected one of them to be Christopher Beanie, probably. Well, Kenneth Williams comes round and he's, uh, you know, the the vicar, Hancock, and he's on about these uh, these orphans. No, we've got no room here, you see, vicar. And they, oh, each one of them will come with uh, Christmas pudding, a turkey. And a, will you send them round or shall I drop off the car? He's <laughs> <laughs> this turnaround straight away, you know. Will you drop them off or shall I send the car? Um... And then, obviously, you know, it's such a good episode. They're all great. And that's another good they one are, for Christmas, a bit of anchor. Yeah. But I, I should ask at this point, Mike, nice things this week for you. Uh, I have got, I did get Lady Don't Fall Backwards, Joan Lemez, but it's come without its sleeve. Oh. And you want the sleeve. There's no spine without a sleeve. No. So I'm currently in negotiation with World of Books on eBay about how we're going to resolve this situation. Um, aside from that, we're one step closer to the uh, Buster Collection with 1966. <laughs> uh, so I only need 1963 now. And of course, Frank Randall, uh, the Randall Scandals tour um, at the Blackpool uh, Empire Ballroom, isn't it? Uh, something like that. So Randall's Summer Scandals. So there was a time when the government would allow us to go out of the house and go to theatres mm -hmm. and you could see a chap called Frank Randall who was from Wigan he brought up eight streets away from George Farnby and Frank Randall when he was uh, eight years old walked from Wigan to Blackpool and then he stood outside the Winter Gardens in Blackpool doing a Charlie Chaplin impression all day right to earn money yeah. And he yeah. used to walk to Blackpool every weekend and do it. So, in the end, he got a gig there. And um, he was called... God, what was his real name now? Frank McAvoy. Um, and he joined... Because he was an acrobat. He joined the uh, Flying Randalls uh, acrobat troupe when he was young. That's how he got the name Frank Randall. And he had all his teeth pulled out so he'd look more funny. Right? That is the commitment of this man to the art. Now, Frank Randall was known as King Twist, or the King of Blackpool. In the 40s, there was him and Joseph Locke, and the Mayor of Blackpool. Uh, Randall was uh, the only man who was allowed to moor his yacht on Blackpool Pier. And he'd drive up and down Blackpool Seafront with a crate of Guinness on his passenger seat of his Lagonda. Right? Flying up and down. Um, and again, forgotten. You know, forgotten. Frank Randall, yeah. you can find this article still online. 
Uh, well, one of the things was he was, because we had the Lord Chamberlain at the time, so he was always getting banned for swearing because uh, he was a mad pisshead. So Rochdale banned him from uh, appearing in Rochdale. So he hired a plane and the pilot and they flew over Rochdale Town Hall and he bombarded the town hall with toilet rolls. <laughs> then in his makeup box, he used to carry a loaded Luger, right? Okay. And if he, he chased the manager of the Wood Green Empire, shooting at him, right? And then the police come to shut the show down. He locked himself in the dressing room of the Wood Green Empire for three days. <laughs> and he was armed. And he was armed. So Frank Randall died when he was 53. Um, his final film was with um, Diana Dawes um, called Somewhere... God, my brain today. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but he did all these Mancunian films, you know. And so Frank Randall is, for me, a proper hero. I just love Frank Randall. His autobiography uh, called King Twist was written by Jeff Nuttall. Do you know Jeff Nuttall? No, I don't know. So no. Jeff Nuttall also authored another book called Bomb Culture in the 60s, which uh, was about art that was being created in the 60s under the cloud of Armageddon, really. Mm -hmm. Um and so he profiled in that everybody who was important. You might know what Jeff Nuttall founded and went on still going, The People Show, which is an avant-garde theatre company. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, there's okay. loads of overlap. Yeah, there's loads of overlap with Ken Campbell and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so Jeff Nuttall wrote the book on him. There's a lot of cheap books out there that I've not read on him. <clears throat> they look quite cheap. But uh, King Twist, that's the one to read. Um, and Frank Randall's a fascinating man. A fascinating man. Um, they all are the North Country comedians. I mean, you know, some of these people that are on the programme as well, and there's Robbie Vincent, who, uh, you know, uh, no, but you will do soon. You, you know, that was his kind of catchphrase, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. These guys, I mean, I mean, Frank Randall's catchphrase was, get off me, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, people say that the revolution in uh, British culture and cinema in the 60s was Saturday night, Sunday morning, because that's when you first heard uh, mm. regional accents. Yeah. So Frank Randall was in Somewhere in England in 1940, you know, a Mancunian film. And he's talking, he's like, shit with me, lad, you'll be rich. So, so you know, it's a nonsense, really. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Randall, Randall is the man. For me, he's the man. I, I love George Farnby as well, but... The fact that these two guys were contemporaries and they didn't really like each other that much, mm. it's, it's a fascinating story to me. So that's that's the nice things this week, dear. Lovely, very nice things. Very, very nice. nice things. I, I get quite animated when I talk about Frank Randall. You might have noticed. Yes. No, no, that's a good thing. That's a nice yes. thing. Yes. Well, be, with being from Haydock, it's kind of, you know, Wigan was the big city. Mm. So, so you know, to, to find things that are famous. Oh, but the statue of Farnby in Wigan isn't, isn't much. They never are them, are they? The Doddy one's the same, and yeah, like... there's a there's a Captain Mannering one which is a bit no. like that. I tell you one you on will like if you go, go to Timperley, the yeah. Frank Sidebottom one's good. Oh, okay. His head's colour. Perfect. So the rest of it's bronze, but the head's yeah. colour. I got a cheese <laughs> and onion pasties, uh, cheese and onion pasty from the Greggs near it, and 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 went and looked at it once. It's oh, quite well, a quite a moving experience. Yes. 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 Um, 
Anything else? Are, are we going to sort of go and uh, strip off and lie star-shaped under a fan somewhere? I think that needs to be what happens, doesn't it? I mean, we, we can only really pray for a, a break in the weather and just freezing conditions. Ben. So what is, the, what is the deal with the weather? Are we going to get a break in the weather? Come on, Paul, you see... Uh, what did well, John Kettley say? Uh, well, John Kettley earlier today on, on the broadcast. Well, I, I can tell you now. I mean, we're recording this. This is going to go out on Friday, isn't it? We're recording yes. this on the Wednesday. All right. Snow. <laughs> okay. It's going to be snowing on Friday, is it? Well, uh, no, I think you'll find that tomorrow... Um, is going to be oh just like this apparently oh super thirty degrees tomorrow um, Friday when we release this I'm afraid well hopefully this brightens things up because according to the BBC weather app it will have been overcast and muggy so all that oh. heat is going to be contained. I was putting picture rails up all day and I tell you what ladders drills chop saws oh god. I'm 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 a fool to myself, as my nan used to say. I am a fool to myself. You can pay men to do these jobs, you know, Paul. And, you and they like it. They like it. I've got a plumber coming round soon. He's happy to come round. I'm happy for him to be here. Have That's you the... um, have you been leafing through the English to bloke dictionary to get a few phrases such as "Did you see the football?" And, I've and... got that one. And when when they, when he says anything, I can reply with, "Well, they did very well under the circumstances." Hey, that's smashing what was, that. What was the score? Yeah, what score? The 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 big match, the one last. Oh, I don't know. He might ask about that. Uh, England or, lost. Good. Uh, well, not good, but he might have good. some very interesting opinions on that. Judging by the internet, <laughs> judging on the plumber, he oh, could be gosh. one of those chaps. So you you need to tread carefully. See if you can get him on about Frank Randall. Well, I'll try uh, that. I'll the door in my velvet, velvet smoking jacket and just stand there looking aloof. And, and a little mini skirt. He'll get the measure. <laughs> He'll get the measure. He'll be like that. that. I'm not talking good. to this twat. One of my, f- <laughs> one of my best memories of of chaps. I remember uh, one of my mates. I'm not, no names, no pat drill on here. Uh, he is a listener, so he will hear this. So I'm not going to say his name. But anyway, um, I I used to go round on my uh, lunch hour occasionally to be mate you know to sort of because it was good to see how people were still you know on the dole when you had a job it was like i mean he's not now unfortunately he's not managed to keep the dream alive but um he, he managed to hold out longer than most of us did <clears throat> and i'd go around there on me dinner and see that and him and his mate was sat in the corner like crammed into the corner on the playstation playing games and passing joints to each other and then there was a man from the council on a day like this decorating his bathroom for him right so he was on the dole getting his rent paid a man was decorating his flat for free and he was sat in the corner to add insult to injury smoking joints and all of a sudden out of this bathroom you heard this workman go, Get an eye in here off the smell of that shit! <laughs> <laughs> and that was his sort of protest. And I often think about that and smile. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, you know, that is what, what is that? A flaneur? Would, would that be flaneur behaviour? <laughs> or as the Germans say, a Luftmensch. Um, but that is what we're like, Paul. But unfortunately, our, the Venn diagram of our lives must intersect with blokes at some yeah. point. You've got to be careful when you're texting them. If you put any punctuation in a text, they'll put money on your bill. 
But as you know, I write texts as though I'm writing a letter stiff yes, in the 1800s. This is where the Oxford English to Bloke Dictionary comes in. Right? You've got to put things in text like KM8. Is this is this a rock band or is it kind No, of no, no. This band? this this could save you a lot of money. If you say, Oh, that's fantastic, I shall see you first thing in the morning, Derek. I will have the percolator on. Do you take lemon with your tea, right? So that, immediately... Well, first of all, he'd probably come around and cut your throat, right? (laughs) But if he doesn't do that, that's like 150 quid on the bill. Whereas if you put K, no capitals, or all capitals, choose one. You can't have both, right? So if you have K space M8, that's Mm. it. So you'll get something which will say B T H R. Eight, right? That means he'll be there at eight. So you just reply with K, mate. M8. T-H-R? Yeah, that means the... It doesn't. I, I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't. Oh. Boris is Britain. What can I say? Oh, I don't like it. It's not on, is it? It isn't on. And unfortunately, neither's the heating. It's it's It really is like this. It is. We need another wall. Anyway, anyway, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I'm all in favour of national service now. I'm, I'm too old to do it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, Conscription, absolutely fine. Because I think yes. because of age, absolute was around about 45, 46. Fine, bring it back. But if they should change it to 50, obviously we'll be marching on Parliament. Yeah, absolutely. You will yes. find that's when I'll be living in the cave somewhere in the Silly Isles. Um, relying on the locals to bring me food as I'm a conscious. <laughs> Tributes. Yes, that's what I like. Yeah, and there'd be some like kind it. of threadbare performances of Shakespeare on a Sunday night on top of the rock by that's way it. of thanks to and the I locals. I will wear a, a bedsheet cut, you know, as an Athenian sort of garb, and I will perform for them, and they will leave food and young lady and, and I think I don't see what's wrong with this. I don't see what's wrong with that, but you remind me of the character in Grey Gardens. You know, the younger one. Have you seen Grey Gardens? No, I haven't. No. Oh, you must. And I think we'll leave it there for one week. It's very sweaty, everyone. Have a lovely mm. week. And until next time, Paul. We'll see you next week with more nice things. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>